on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there, welcome aboard another edition of The Big Fish. You may recall the famous words of JJ Kale. After midnight, we're going to let it all hang out. After midnight. Well, Cole, the Waymaster Treneman on the mid-north coast and north coast of New South Wales shares his Midnight Mulloway and Mangrove Jack secrets. Absolute surefire secrets on how to catch these elusive fish. That's our first cast this morning on The Big Fish. Luke Pearce on Operation Murray Cray Rescue. Stinkers had the best fishing expedition ever. And spay casting in the snow mountains with Peter Morse because the swing is the thing and the tug is the drug. All coming up on The Big Fish. this morning on Messenger, a photo of a beautiful big mangrove jack uh, came through. (laughs) Midnight Mulloway and mangrove jack are the topic on the mid-north coast and north coast with our man in that part of the world, Cole, the Waymaster Trenerman. Good morning, Treno. Morning, Scotty. How are we? Very very well. What a... Uh, He he says as he's watched the sleep out of his eyes. (laughs) Why... Why are you holding that fish so close to your face? It's got some ugly fangs. That I'm talking about uh-huh. your face, not the fish. No, the the mangrove jack. I, I was I was hoping it would latch hold of your lip. Oh, mate, look, I'm not a three three eight piece of Rio, mate. I got feelings, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Well, we, we went up looking. We went went around looking for a few mulloway, and it was called it the double M's. The little mate and I, when we go out fishing for them, but uh, we didn't get the mulloway. We end up with about I think it was. That was number one of eight, I think. Is that a bit of a secret? I mean, to be fishing late into the night for them. What, what's, what's the, the story with how late it was? Because uh, no one else can see you. <laughs> <laughs> they all think you're an idiot. What's his car doing on the boat ramp? Ah, oh, bugger it! I don't care. <laughs> yeah, f- fair enough. But you get the live bait first to take us through mm-hmm. the process of targeting Mulloway and Mangrove Jack night fishing. Yeah, well, we get to have dinner before we go, which is the beautiful thing about it, but I make sure I get my mullet before I go, and I keep them alive on the way up there. This mullet for Jewies, I like that oh, six to eight inches, the same size I use for the for the uh, big flatties. I like that size mullet. And for the jacks, I prefer a small one around that 100 mil to, you know, that 100 to 125 mil, just a bit smaller. So <clears throat> it's a bit tricky trying to get both, but I managed to, I managed to get enough for us uh, there last night. What we were targeting was the top of the tide, and I don't mind fishing up to the full moon for these two little buggers, but as soon as the moon gets too high, they are a bit like brim, they'll just hide. And if you can find shadows and undercut banks, they'll be there. They're, they're very much a, a nighttime feeder by the sound of it. Definitely, mate. We've, um, in this particular spot that we've been going up to, we've noticed there on the dark of the moon especially, the turn and the run-out tide, the, the amount of prawns they shuffle down... Uh, is unbelievable, and the, the autopsy of the uh, both that I, I well, I actually kept two that I mind a feed, and a mate of mine asked me for a feed, so I, I kept one for him. Well, I, we normally let them all go, but I uh, it's a bit of a consultation with the little mate. Said, yeah, man, we, we keep we'll keep one or two, 
And, what are uh, the regs and the rules for Mangrove Jack in New South Wales? Because they're, they're really um, synonymous with the, the Queensland Mangrove Creeks, aren't they, Mangrove Jack? Correct. We don't talk about them much on the, on the big fish. No, no. Well, see, I believe, I believe their regs are five in total. That's in possession as well. Well, that's a lot, isn't it? When you come to think of it, it is a lot of fish, but very similar in their um, habits to a brim. Uh, we did catch a couple of... I nearly took a photo of the brim I got last night. I think it was 48 to the fork, and I got, got him on a live mullet so, and a 6 hook. So there you go. They've got a pretty similar habit. They, they school up like brim. But if you've got a really good sounder, you can actually sound a school up and you'll see them sitting over a particular snag or maybe a per- certain part of the rock wall or or uh, a deep hole down there. It might be a bit of structure down the bottom there or up halfway along. But you'll actually see them sitting in amongst the structure. See, if you fish for them in, in Queensland, you know they're right up deep under the mangrove roots or in, in that fallen tree, in the snag, way up towards the bank. And the barramundi are a bit similar, actually, yep. in, in a lot of ways. Um and, and you, you've got to get those casts right in there to get them out. You're saying at night time they, they come out a bit and start to uh, actively school up and, and look for food. Well, at night, as the tide slows down, they get a lot more active than they are when the tide runs. Different spots, different horses, different courses. But what I've found, what the mate and I found, is that as it, the tide slows down towards the top, they start getting active. And you've got about a 20-minute, half an hour, maybe even 45-minute window before it turns and starts pouring out and that's the end of it. You know, you still get the odd one, but that's, that's your, your time period done. And see, last night, the time we were fishing last night was about, I think it was uh, 11.30. So by the time it turns, it was just after midnight, or you know, just before midnight there. So, yeah, it just, uh, it, it, it certainly, <laughs> this is, you know, this is probably four or five years of research on the buggers too. Oh, well, it's nice for you to share. We're talking about Midnight Mulloway and Mangrove Jack on the Mid-North Coast and the <laughs> North Coast with Treno, all of the M's. And uh, if you fish for them in, in Queensland, it's not uncommon to get small ones, you know, 20 to 30 centimetres, the odd bigger one. But in New South Wales, it seems as if they're bigger. Uh, what's the story there? I think the best you got, the one you showed me a picture of before you released it, Beautiful, aren't they? Beautiful fish. It was fifty-eight centimeters. I mean, what's the yeah. what's the story? Why are they so big uh, on the mid north and north coast? If you can find them, well, uh, uh, different things. See, the water gets warmer up there in Queensland a lot quicker. Like it, it, where we look at, say, in our estuaries, twenty-three to twenty-seven degrees per se. Up there, the fish don't start biting until it's about twenty-six, and it gets to about twenty-nine, twenty-eight, twenty-nine degrees. A lot of those big mangrove jack that size are moved off to the offshore reefs, and that's why because they breed so prolific, prolifically. Like they're like they're like a brim. They they'll have um, uh, they'll have you know, heaps heaps of babies, and make their survival rates pretty good. Right, right. So the the breeding conditions aren't as good in in New South Wales. And look, if if you're in the know, we've got them right down to Sydney and beyond. Really, you know, Definitely. if you find them up in some of those coastal lagoons and lakes and, and some of the creeks. It's surprising where they turn up. Um, and they do survive. They can survive in colder water, but they what do they do? Shut down? Well, they do, but they change their feed numbers. This will, this will let, a, this will let a, a cat out of the bag. D.Y. Lagoon, always shut. Prawns go in there. It's a bit like Cat Eye Lagoon when the Cat Eye closes here on the, the beautiful Mid-North Coast. 
when Cateye closes, uh, the prawns go absolutely ape. And they go everything and everything eats and things. Mate and I were down there fishing for whiting one day. Uh, this is a few years ago down at D.Y. Lagoon after it opened, and we got three mangrove jack out of there. That's a rarity. They really are quite common in the big rivers of the mid-north and north coast, aren't they? If, if you know where to look, if you know when to fish. And, and yeah. these live baits, are they the secret? Live baits? No, oh, not really. Um, I, I catch them on the big banana prawns that I use for me reds off the rocks or, uh, you know, when I'm fishing offshore for big snapper, I'll, I'll use a, the really... When, you, when I see the really big banana prawns, I grab a kilo of those and bag them up into about 20 or so in each bag and I use those as well, put them on a 6 oak. Because yeah, most, most people think that they'll only take a, a moving bait, but you'll just, just uh, what, float it under a bobby cork or something, a big big prawn. No, not a bobby cork, just, a, just no sinker, no, no sinker, no float. Just sit there and just feed it back down along the... Because you're sitting in line with where they, where, they should be, where they should be living is where you're fishing across. So you've just got to be mindful of... It could be just a little tick on your line and then you wind up and get in them because otherwise they've usually got you. The thing about the jacks too is, and the Lejana species in general, like the finger mark and, and like those giant New Guinea black bass, uh, which people tell me will snap 60-pound line, is they like to come out of the snag and hit the lure, the live bait or the, the bait on the way back in at, at full speed. And that's where you get snagged up by them time and time again. They're masters at getting off, aren't they, of snapping you off or... or Tangling you up in the snag or busting you off. Well, I was I was using sixty lead last night on forty. I think it was forty braid, and I was um, I was uh, I was stitched up about three or four times by better fish. Where I fish up is um, there is better fish there. Wow, wow, extraordinary. So, what are we talking about? <laughs> oh, we possibly could be talking high sixties, even an early seventy, maybe. You know what I mean? Oh, that's big for a mangrove jack. The, the the North Coast is is the place, isn't it? If you want to catch a trophy, one in the estuary, by the sound of it. Well, mate, look with with the amount of rain we've had, and the estuaries have been flushed out. There's a whole heap of new snags. Like I've, I've, this place that I've been fishing lately, this it's all changed from what it was a year ago or two years ago. With the amount of floods we've had, trees have moved on, more trees have piled up. Where I'm fishing now. Um, it's in about 10 metres of water and it's just a mess, just an absolute mess of trees on the bottom. You go through and you can actually, with the sound, with the sound I've got now, you can actually pinpoint the, the fish that are sitting in there. I haven't got live scope, but it's the one back from it, but then you can just see the fish sitting in the So the jacks have, have moved yeah. into these new homes, have they? Uh, well, I don't think they have. Well, what they do is that they're pretty... Um, pretty Freshwater tolerant, if you know what I mean. They'll, they'll survive in, 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 in pretty much fresh water. And they move right up in the back of estuary system. People don't realise this, that like everybody fishes rock walls and uh, down the front there and places like that. But a lot of the stuff that I've caught over the years have come from right up to the water you could almost drink. Speaking with Cole Treneman, who's a bit bleary-eyed this morning. He had the midnight mulloway and mangrove Jack Madness on the mid-north and north coast. We won't give away the river, but they all have big mangrove jack in them. But we've, we've learned a bit so far. So change of the tide, um, change of the tide, dark of the moon, um, wherever there is good cover for them, and they'll come out in the middle of the night and, and make sure it's a dark night. It, it sounds yeah. like they're real nighttime feeder. What about the Mulloway? Did you target them? Because that's a similar, not the same habitat exactly, but very similar 
conditions. They love that change of the tide at night. Yeah, well, that's correct. There was a bit of running, a bit of sting in the water last night. She was running a bit hard, and where we were, there was a bit of phosphorus. So it made it, made it a little bit challenging, but uh, we did hear a couple of fish work in the surface and uh, menace in the mullet school not far from where we were, and we sort of just come back down on the electric to sit near it, and we made out a run, and they come back, it was all, uh, the mullet was scaled and all mashed up, so the hook had turned back into the bait, which was unfortunate. That's a mulloway. Uh, the first time, the first time the lad decides to fish a single hook, and I said, "What are you doing a single hook? You always use a, uh, a snooded uh, rig. You like snooded rig? Yeah, yeah two two eighties or two tenos. He said, oh, oh, you know, I just thought I'd try a single hook, less trouble, and it turns back into the bait, and he was no. not very happy with himself. And it's a big, uh, big mulloway, you think? Oh, yeah. Well, there's been not that many big ones around. And when I look, look, people, when I say big ones, I'm talking twenty kilo fish. You know, a lot of people in their life will catch a metery and a metre uh, mulloway and say that's the best fish. Mate, it was probably a bit better than that. But, you know, it wasn't that much. It wasn't that big. I saw him load up, the rod loaded up, and it just went, and then it popped, pulled the mullet out. So, Would you catch jacks while targeting mulloway? Or you've got a speci- you're using similar techniques, but in different, yeah, but different places, problem, aren't you? Problem is we're using bigger baits. I'm using that next step up and mullet. I like that. I like that 150 to 170 centimetre mullet. So I like those bigger mullet. Whereas with jacks, I'm only fishing, say, 4 inch or 100 mil to 125 mil. And what did you have last night? Well, we had both of them. We had I had half a dozen big fellas, and I had a limit of, I think it was 15 of the little lakes between us. So Did you use your double dowel, white dowel technique? If people can't remember that. That's a, a really... Really interesting way of catching the um, the yellow-eyed mullet, mullet, isn't it? Mullet float, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we did that because um, it, it, I find it the easiest way to they they, they half hook themselves. They feel the weight of it. And the, it the, the take us through, take us through the rig again because it's using a little bit of white dowel, white a little dowel, bit of wood, yeah, probably about three or four inches long, maybe three inches long. And you paint it white, inch, yeah, with a one of those little eyelets screwed and glued in the top of it. And then all I use is about twelve pound uh, leader, and I make a dropper, two droppers. And uh, and I just put a, a size ten ludric hook on. That's what you normally would use for ludric or blackfish. And uh, I'd, I'd use them with a bit of bread and a bit of bit of burley going through. You'll know when they're there. They'll they'll pick up the bread. Hey, tight lines, Treto. I think you need a little nana nap. I can't, mate. I'm at work now, so now <laughs> I have to. Now I have to suffer. You suffer for your penance, mate. I think I've had about four hours three, four hours sleep. Yeah, and I can vouch <laughs> so for that. If anyone be- comes in the shop today and they see an old fellow with a stone, like a white beard laying there snoring, just give him a poke and see if he's alive. <laughs> That's right. He had his midnight Mulloway and Mangrove Jack madness trip on the mid-north and north coast. We won't give the exact location, but uh, he sent me through at 12.58 last night, a 53-centimetre um, mangrove jack, a magnificent one, held up to your face. That was, that was as big as your head. Um, anyway, tight lines, buddy. <laughs> big as the bags under your eyes. Tight lines, Treto. Thanks for joining us again from the, the mid-north and north coast. It's a, a wonderful part of the world, and the mangrove jack is an option for those really keen anglers. Correct. Thanks, mate. On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish. Peter Morse is somewhere secret in the high country, uh, way up there in the snowy mountains. Morning, Peter. Scott, how are you, mate? Yeah, you, the phone rang early in the morning, and I was uh, in a little patch of 
And a little patch of fish, and I saw Gosford. Bloody hell! <laughs> I know who that is. Hang on, there's another one. <laughs> I just have these. I have these nightmare scenarios. I ring Morsey because he's always on the river. He's got a fish on. He reaches for his mobile phone. It falls in and washes downstream, or something terrible like that. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad you've taken five seconds to have a chat. Are you sight fishing for them? Are you using the double hander? What are you doing? Uh, I'm using the double hander, mate. I'm on one of the bigger rivers down here, and I'm. Uh, I, I've just dusted it off and I've got a, a spay casting weekend coming up this weekend and I've actually just been across in Jindabyne uh, yesterday. I, I got down here only yesterday uh, with the Australian fly fishing team teaching them some spay techniques, uh, particularly the Australian team. They're off to the World Championships and some uh, cunning Europeans used spay casting techniques last year and cleaned up and so the the fellows wanted some uh, wanted some instruction on that, and that was that was a great session on uh, on Lake Jindabyne. Wow! Um, well, how did they dyna- dynamic roll casts and being able to utilize utilize uh, 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 water that has no back cast space? And that was they really really good anglers and great students. That was very cool. Well, well spay casting can... is sort of a, a super modified roll cast, isn't it? Well, a spay cast, the definition of a spay cast is it's a change of direction roll cast. So a good roll cast is only done in a straight line. Uh, it's it's very inefficient when you try and change directions. And but a spay cast, uh, you make those moves in order to change the direction that you can roll cast in. Uh, that that's that's roughly what it's about. And yeah, it 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 uh, it it puts you. I mean, I'm I'm fishing a big river at the moment. Uh, no names, no pack drill. And I'm fishing water that that the vast majority of fly fishermen couldn't get anywhere near. And uh, I, I enjoy that. I mean, I got onto this thing when I, I was in New Zealand and the, the, the guide said 80% of the fish are in 20% of the water. And, yeah, that's good. That's, they're in on the edge and, uh, you know, that narrow strip on the edge. And by the end of the day, I realised I was more interested in those 20% of the fish that are, that are in 80% of the water because they're the big buggers. <laughs> <laughs> they're the bigger fish. They're the more difficult fish. You know, and it, it really solves that conundrum, doesn't it, for, for fly fishers because if you've got a, a big wall of vegetation, which tends to be the case on rivers, the, the, the vegetation likes water and it grows behind you, it takes that out of the game. And, and most people think they see a river like that and think, well, you can't fly fish that river, but you can. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. And yeah, look, just becoming a better roll caster is is a key to to adding enormous efficiency to your fishing. You know, it it like you said, a windy day. It's a fantastic cast on a windy day. It's a very stealthy cast. It can be a very accurate cast. Uh, you know, it's a great cast for getting flies off snags. It has so many uses. Uh, it's a great cast for heavy flies. I. I love telling the story about a mate on a screaming windy day over in Western Australia with a, a big blue bastard with the wind at the wrong quarter. And uh, the only cast you could do was a backhand roll cast in order to get this fish. And, uh, yeah, we got the fish. Anyway, yeah, very useful cast. And any fly fishermen out there who, uh, who uh, would like to learn it, you know, I suggest you put a little bit of time into it or give me a call. Well, very, very lucky that we're, we're getting you there. You're on a section of the river, obviously, that has a line of sight to a mountain or something with a, with a cell tower on it because he's on a beautiful yeah. s- stretch of stream putting this all to effect. And have you caught a few this morning, Peter? 
Yes, I have. I've had a wonderful morning. Thanks, Scott. Nothing big. Nothing big. Uh, just, I'm just really enjoying. You know, I, I've been home a lot, um, and uh, I haven't been doing a great deal of fishing. I had a wonderful session up on Glenbourne chasing carp up at the top end of Glenbourne recently. But I only got here yesterday, so I'm just really enjoying being on an empty river midweek uh, and dusting off the two-hander and throwing some, some casts and trying to get it all together before the weekend. Uh, you know, it, yeah, it's beautiful. Just, just bloody glorious. And the mountains are in such fantastic condition at the moment, you know. We're moving, I think we're moving out of that La Nina period. There's so much water around. Um, the water's cleaned up. There's, there's you know, the, the, the floody, floody sort of bits of water are over. The levels are reasonably high, but it's clean, and it's going to be a wonderful summer down here. I'll get across to Yukonbean next week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, stock up on some gravlax and smoke trout for Christmas. <laughs> So all's good in the world, mate. <laughs> oh, Peter, it just sounds great. I'm so glad you're back in the waders and back on the stream. And just take us through the scenario there. So you're on a big river. It's it's fast flowing. Um, as yeah. you say, you know, most people would try to upstream nymph it, but you're only covering such a small proportion of the water. Take us yeah. through what you, you're doing there with the, the, the spay cast, that, that modified roll cast that fires it across. Yeah, so I'm 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 work I'm actually fishing my way downstream. I'm blind fishing, so I'm not I'm not sight fishing. I'm a, a bored as hell with sight fishing, to be honest. An upstream dry fly and nympho chap. I'm I'm trying to cover as much water as I can, but I'm trying to read the water. I'm trying to de- determine where the fish are going to be lying because uh, they're going to be facing into the current, which is which is, and I'm walking downstream. So I'm presenting the fly to them from an upstream position. I can't see them, but I'm just I'm just trying to. The, the, the fascinating part of this is that you have to learn to read the water from a completely different perspective. So bits of water that your upstream dry fly and nymph fishermen completely ignore and walk past are the bits of water that I love. Uh, you know, the big wider stretches, the wider deeper stretches. At uh, the moment, I've got uh, a wall of willows on the... Oh, I just saw a fish rise among the willows. A wall of willows on the other side. Um, uh, 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 the deep water, and there's a bubble line running along that wall of willows. And... Oh, no, that's a carp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, uh, I, I'm just casting as far as I can into that wall of willows. I'm fishing a sink tip. I'm fishing two flies. I have a little beadhead fur fly on the point and uh, a, a, a caddis pupa, rising caddis pupa on the dropper. Uh, I'm casting. I'm letting it sink. And then I'm letting it swing up and out of the deeper water like something swimming to the surface. And that's usually when the bites come. And does the longer uh, the, rod give you the, the ability to mend it to keep it at the depth that you want it in the different types of yeah, water? Absolutely. You, yeah, you're constantly working, working the rod, trying to, trying to manipulate the line to manipulate the fly. Uh, it gives me distance, uh, a lot of distance, but then when the, fly and, uh, when the fly hits the water and the line is on the water, it gives me the ability to throw some big mends and really control 
the depth and speed of the swing, um, which is, you know, that, that that's the, the skill in this thing is throwing the cast that allows you to present the fly naturally, but then you use the rod and the line to manipulate the depth and the speed of the fly. Uh, you know, there is a whole... It's, it's like a rubric's cube of, of possibilities. For you, really, the, the tug is the drug. Absolutely. That's, yeah, the swing is the thing, but the tug is the drug. <laughs> you, don't catch, you don't catch as many fish doing this. You, don't, you just simply got to be prepared to not catch as many fish. It's, about, it's just about what you're doing. And I tell you, it's a cool way of fishing. I'm expecting Scarlett Johansson to leap out of the bushes at any minute because it's so sexy. <laughs> well, it's what the Queen used to do. Yes, and the Queen Mother. <laughs> I think I think I've even seen a photo of Diana with a double hander in her hands. They cover so many fish. We'll go and put it in front of their noses, and I hope they bite. Peter Morse, tight lines, tight loops. Thanks for joining us from the Snow Mountains. Thanks, mate. Great to chat again. Bye. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Hey, g'day, Scott. How you going today? I'm going really well. You said to me before we fired into it that you had the best story, the best fishing experience of your lifetime. And you've been around for a while, so I can't wait to hear this one. Oh, well, you know, I don't know whether it's a lifetime, but I can tell you what, it would make the finals. Dear, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great... I had... It was Wednesday evening. Um, oh, gee, fishing gives me great pleasure, you know. Just aside from everything else, the little boat, the, the just travelling out there, watching the whales and the seals and the dolphins and the turtles, I mean, and the odd shark swims around. That's all side entertainment. Then if you catch fish on top of that, well, I mean, you're going pretty good. And that's exactly what happened on Wednesday evening. So everything lined up, your favourite swell, your favourite wind, and the sun was out, was it? Well, it was a nice day Wednesday. But I, um, I sat down in the afternoon to watch a Netflix thing that I was going to watch. I mean, I don't watch much telly, but I thought, oh, someone said, oh, watch this is a good show. And, you know, so I sat down. Oh, it must have been about two or half past two, something like that. And I was going to watch this thing on Netflix. And I look out the window and the day's nice. And, and I looked at, and I started to look at the wind. Well, the wind was west northwest. And there was about a two-metre sea, and high tide was around about nine o'clock in the evening. So it was going to—it was all a run-in tide all afternoon. From when I was sitting down to watch Netflix till nine o'clock at night, it was going to be a run-in tide. So I said, "Blow it! I'm out of here. The Netflix can wait. I'm going. I don't <laughs> care if they're not biting." I thought to myself, even if I sit out there and they're not biting. I'm going to have more fun sitting out there <laughs> than I am sitting here. So I, I raced down and I and I jumped in. I fired up stink pot. I had about half a dozen loaves of bread. That was from a burley. Um, and I had some prawns. I always take prawns with me, um, about a kilo of, of um, king prawns. 
And then I I didn't have any yellowtail. Now, I've been telling you lately, Scott, that yellowtail have been very good to me. But I didn't have any in the freezer, but my mate down the road had a few, so he, he gave me six, six yellowtail and a kilo of prawns. That's, that's what I had. And then off I went. Oh, I launched off the beach and off I went. A bit of swell stinking? There was a bit of swell, but it was sort of coming from the south and it really um, it didn't bother me greatly. Uh, and leaving Fingal, I Fingal was pretty flat. But when I got out around the lighthouse, there was a, a pretty solid swell. But the conditions were quite lovely. And so I've arrived out there shortly after 3 o'clock and I'm thinking, how lovely is this? It's just beautiful. So I dropped anchor, and for the next hour, I didn't get a bite, nothing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, well, it's better than Netflix anyway. So I'm, I'm sitting there just enjoying the whole thing. So I thought, I'll shift. I'm going to shift into um, place my second B, B, plan B. Anyway, so I went to plan B. <laughs> But I've, I realised I'd shortened my anchor rope and I couldn't now I couldn't reach the bottom. <laughs> so, <laughs> what did you do that for? Well, it got a big knots and things in it, and you know, the knots were too hard to untangle, so I just cut the rope off. <laughs> but, but, but so Plan B didn't work at all because I couldn't reach the bottom. Anyway, then I because you can only carry so much rope, rope in stink pot. Remember, it's only eleven foot, so you don't want a boat full of rope. Um, so anyway, I thought, well, I'm going back to plan A and I don't care, you know, if I don't catch a fish, it's a good spot. I've fished it quite regularly and I'm going to sit here until the sun sets and I'm going to have a good time regardless. So that's exactly what I did. I went back to plan A and by this time, the sort of the wind had spun around a bit. You know, it had gone from west-northwest, um, west, then it, it blew from the westerly and then it started to blow from the south. So I'm sort of spinning around in circles, which is not good. That's not a good thing. You want to sit in the same place at the same angle with the same burly trail. Everything wants to be same. But, oh, no, on Wednesday I spin around a bit. Anyway, I'm sitting there and I've got a floating um, prawn out and a floating um, head of a yellow tail. And, you know, just sort of laying back and taking it easy and then zoom, this almighty run and the, one of my rods just buckled over and I said, here we go and that was the prawn, the prawn went off, no lead, no lead at all, they just float around in the back of the burly truck. Anyway after a pretty solid battle I got a beautiful, well about three and a half kilo snapper and I thought, well that'll do me that really, you know, I'm I, you know, I'm happy with that. I, I don't need too much more to keep me happy. So I sort of um, put that one in. I carry a big esky in the boat with me with ice. And so the fish goes immediately on to ice. And I put another prawn on. And then uh, the old poor old yellowtail head had been pecked, 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 pecked. And it, it was only just a sort of a frame of a thing. So I put on the cube of yellowtail behind the head. Now, do you know what I'm talking about? When you cut the yellowtail crossways, you don't fillet it, you cut it crossways. And there's a cube behind the yellowtail ear, which goes back for another inch or so, and you can cut that off. You can get that one and then another one, 
and the tail bit's not much good. You can throw that in the burly pot. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, you, and you've had some success with this, haven't you? Yes, I have. Anyway, I, I, I put one of those on, and I threw that out, and I threw another prawn out, and again, I'm happy. I'm, I'm a winner. I'm, I've got a three-and-a-half-kilo three snapper in the, in the esky, so anything else is a bonus. Well, what happened then was quite extraordinary. The one of the rods went right off again, gone totally crackers, and I and I got a two kilo um, snapper out of that. That was the prawn, and then I finally got that off, and then the yellowtail's gone nuts, and uh, and there were heaps and heaps of yellowtail around the boat, just oh, must a thousand. Of them. Anyway, then the, the yellowtail line goes off, and I thought, oh dear me, what's going on? So this one was over oh, about four and a half kilo. So I've got a four wow. and a half kilo, three and a half kilo, and a two kilo one before I'm even sort of settling in. And I said, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you what do you account for it, Stinker? The the big tidal <sighs> tidal changes. Uh, what's well, going on? It was getting later. I mean, I, I say I went out at around about four. I got out there about four. And nothing really started to happen until about half past five. Um, so as we got into the evening, this is when the action started. But this was only the start of it. I mean, I I had six six yellow tails, all frozen up ones, and I'm cutting the cubes off. And every cube I went, I started catching a lot of um, snapper that were less than around about the kilo. Well, I just tossed them back. I just threw them back because I, I had, you know, some good fish. But it's only only six o'clock and so it's another hour and a half fishing before the sort of sun goes down. So I thought I'll sit here a bit longer. Well, I got another four kilo snapper. Things went totally crazy. <laughs> and then I um the tailor moved in. Well they can be a nuisance, you know. So I lost a few hooks to the tailor. Yeah. Any size amongst them, Stinker? No, 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 not really. A, a kilo would pull them up, I mm. reckon. But, but they're not lovely fish. They're lovely fish. And then I um, I still start. I thought I'll, I'll catch a few yellowtail, fresh ones. And so I, that's easy. You're just a, a metre and a half of fishing line with those little round plastic you know, those little plastic spools, you know, the ones? Yep, yep. With a, and a little bit of line and a and a number two hook or a four hook and, and a little bit of cube of um, prawn, and then you just dangle that over the side and and you, I put the spool in my pocket. <laughs> and so when the it tightens up in your pocket, and then I flip them over the side and, oh, so I had ended up using 12 yellow tails Oh, dear, I mean, things were still... It was happening all the time, all the time. But really, then, my old friend, the kingfish, turned up. Well, you know <laughs> my feeling towards kingfish. <laughs> well, I hooked a giant, an absolute... It was like I hooked a bloke in the pants on a motorbike. <laughs> it, and he was going full throttle. And this thing took off like you wouldn't believe. And so I'm sitting in stink pot and I'm leaning back and I'm looking at my reel <laughs> and I reckon my reel only had probably, oh, I don't know, maybe 150 metres on it, I suppose. And the line was just disappearing. 
It was that fast. And I'm thinking, if I don't lock onto this thing soon, I'm not going to have any fishing line left. So I just locked onto it, and I didn't even... It didn't even blink. It just kept going and going. <laughs> It'd be a monster yellowtail. That's what it was. There's no mm, doubt about big, that. Big kingy, big kingy. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got no chance with those things. They just keep going and going. But, oh, so I thought, well, that'll do. They were still biting when I left. I said, well, this will do me. I've had. I got more than I know. The only reason I kept them, I ended up with two... Two fish over four and a half, around four and a half kilo, two around three and a half, and two about two and a half. So I ended up bringing six fish home plus um, a Taylor and uh, Traglin. And I'm, I got I, a trag. Yeah, I got a caught Traglin. They're usually well. further further out, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I've only ever caught two. Is it a good one? Years. Oh no, you know, not a monster, but he was a good fish. Yeah, nice fish. And uh, and I thought, well, this is just. Spectacular! Wow. So I, um, so I come home and uh, cleaned up the fish, and oh, gee, hey, that's that, that is better than so, Netflix, stinker. Oh yeah, I'm, I've forgotten Netflix altogether. <laughs> <laughs> but but what? A, you know, I mean, I've been going to this spot for ages, really, and I always get a couple of fish. But the only reason I caught, I kept as many as I kept because I've got one of those. Um, what do you call them, that um, cryvac machine? Oh, yes, yes. I've got one of those, yeah. Yes. So I fillet them and bone them um, and skin them, and then I put two fillets in the cryvac thing, and then suck all the air out of it and then stick it in the freezer. Uh, I don't normally eat frozen fish. I don't think I've ever eaten frozen fish. But now I'm trying that. It's pretty good. Yes, it's a pretty good way to go. And the secret is that you're putting them straight on the ice as well. You're looking after those beautiful fish so well. Well, what a night out, Stinker. It's just funny how just on a whim you look out the window and think, yep, I'm going fishing, and uh, you never know. It's, it's an adventure every time, isn't it? Well, the interesting part, Scott, was that another guy left the beach. There's only three or four of us who launch at Fingal and go regularly. And Scott, his name is, and we always share um, our experiences. And so he left the beach at the same time I did. Now, he went south because he saw all the good signs too, and I went north. I haven't seen him since, so I'll be interested to know how he went, that whether he caught yeah, fish like well, I Yeah, well, you caught. never know, Stinker, but everything seemed to line up. Hey, thanks for sharing one of the best trips ever with us. Tight lines, buddy. It was the dark of the moon and the prawns were running. The expert in the mug shot across the lake, engine gunning. The whiting were biting, but only on live prawn. Said expert to mug, we'll fill the boat, come the light of dawn. 
The mug toiled away with light and net. Filling the prawn bucket left him cold and wet. The expert watched on with lots of advice while the shivering mug was bitten by lice. Hurry up, you mug. Tides are turning. We can't be late. We'll bag out now that I've collected the perfect bait. They dropped the anchor. It was cold and black. Remember when they bite, give them some slack. They cast their prawn rigs out into the dark. The expert said, we'll catch our bag. This will be a lark. They fished on and on, hour after hour. Not a bite, not a touch. The situation was dour. The mug gave the expert an evil look as he threaded another live prawn onto his hook. All bloody night without even a nibble. You call yourself expert. What a load of drivel. As the scene was illuminated by the rosy light of dawn, they saw a crab shuffling off with a prawn. The mug gave the expert the back of his hand. You bloody fool, he said. We've been casting onto the sand. As they motored home across the lake, the mug thought, how was I duped by this fake? My family's waiting at home with the skillet and we're heading back without even a fillet. The expert now chastened said, I know how to sate their hunger. On the way home, we'll call in at the fishmonger. The expert has now pawned his rod and reel-o. The price of redemption? $69 a kilo. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Some massive changes on the mighty Murray with giant rare Murray crayfish walking out of the water and being rescued by fisher folk. It's an incredible true story. Only in Australia, Luke Pierce. Good morning. Good morning, Scotty. Yeah, it's a great story in that regard, Scott. And um, I guess they're an incredible animal. And most people you know, won't be familiar with them unless they've caught them. These are an incredible animal. They are the second largest freshwater crayfish in the world second only to the giant Tasmanian freshwater crayfish. They get massive. These things get up to 50 centimetres in length, grow up to like three kilos. They, were, they are a real beast of an animal. And unfortunately, um, yeah, due to uh, flooding and you know what we've done to our river systems, there, there's been lots of them crawling out of the water because the oxygen levels in the water aren't, aren't high enough to sustain them and they'll basically suffocate if they stay in the water. So essentially what's been happening um, due to the the flooding that's occurred over the last few months, um, we're seeing um, areas down in the river systems where the oxygen levels are, are, are getting so low that, yeah, the crayfish crawl out of the water. But unfortunately, other fish that can't crawl out of the water actually have been dying in those systems. Um, so what the crayfish can do, it can crawl out of the water and as if, if its gills remain wet, it can still um, survive. So they'll crawl out of the water and basically breathe air for short periods of time. And then when their gills start to dry out, they'll dunk back in the water and re-wet them. And they can do this for a fairly extended period, um, but they're very vulnerable, obviously, to predation while they're sitting out on the banks. So, um, you know, obviously um, things like foxes or birds can come along and gobble them up and, um, yeah, un- unwilling people as well doing the wrong thing potentially could pick them up as well. 
So, so I think it's really important to understand, you know, why these oxygen levels are, are so low in our river systems, and it's largely due to, to um, you know, what we've done to our river systems and how we manage them now. So, essentially, what's happening is the flood water is um, is um, obviously flooding the land and also submerging lots of vegetation and and um, and and grass and forests and leaf litter and those kind of things, and, and the carbon in that vegetation or in that um, organic material starts to break down and becomes dissolved in the water and then bacteria starts to um, consume that carbon and when the bacteria is consuming the carbon, it uses up oxygen and basically uses all of the oxygen up out of the water. And what we're seeing um, is that we're seeing this increase or these events increase due to the fact that we've regulated the rivers now and we don't get um, regular flooding of those floodplains that would have normally got water on them much more regularly to wash that carbon out of the system more regularly now. So because we're basically, you know, capturing all of those low to medium floods um, in the dams and, and re-regulating them now, that carbon doesn't get flushed off the floodplain, so it builds up and builds up. And then when we get a really big flood event like what we're seeing now, there's this huge amount of carbon that gets washed into the system and then it gets consumed by bacteria, which uses all the oxygen out of the water, and then there's not enough oxygen left for, for fish and... and um, Things like, you know, Murray crayfish that we're now seeing crawling out of the water. Any estimates on how many fish and crays we've lost and all of those other animals that uh, need that oxygenated water? Yeah, very hard to, um, you know, get an estimate on it. It's got, you know, it's just such a vast area. So, you know, we've only seen some relatively small isolated pockets where fish have um, died so far in this event. So, um, touch wood, we may have, um, you know, that, you know, things have kind of, settled down a little bit in that regard. We haven't seen any um, fish um, dying in the recent weeks and we've also seen the numbers of crayfish that have been leaving the water, you know, much reduced due to, um, you know, the flood peaks moving downstream and also some pretty unseasonal cool temps down here as well. But, you know, some areas down here, you know, the floodplains are, you know, tens of kilometres wide. So, you know, there's just thousands and thousands of hectares of of land that's all flooded, you know, where the fish could potentially be. So, they're really hard to ascertain, you know, exactly the extent of these kind of events just because of the vastness of the area that's been flooded. Luke, the lucky few, the ones that caring anglers rescued and uh, sent to uh, be looked after at Narandra, tell us about those uh, crayfish. At least those ones we know will be going back to the system to hopefully breed more because uh, we're really looking after them. They they have declined quite quite a bit, but some amazing transformations. They've been in a good paddock, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing story. So we've had, you know, a massive interest from the community. So recreational fishers have been involved and the angling groups as well as indigenous groups and just the community generally have been really concerned to see these animals leaving the water and, and obviously being really vulnerable. So there's been, there's been a number of, um, you know, I guess events and programs where people have been out and collected them in conjunction with our fisheries officers and fisheries staff and and they've gone to several locations for safekeeping um, until the you know the water and the conditions in the in the river systems improve, so they can go back. So some have gone to our fisheries um, centre at Narandra, some have gone to Chelsea University here in Albury, and some have gone down to a private um, aquaculture system, uh, aquaculture facility down in Mildura in Victoria as well. So um, we've collected well over a thousand animals now, and um, the ones that we'd had held at, at Narandra at our fisheries centre there got released last week back into the river. And, um, yeah, we released over 600 back into the river last week, and, and it was just amazing, incredible in a couple of instances, one, to see so many of these crayfish all in the one place at the one time. Like, you just never get that opportunity. 
uh, normally, and it was just it was actually a really incredible privilege to be able to handle and see so many of these because these are big animals. Some of these things were, you know, 30 centimetres long. And, you know, those animals would be 25, 30 years old, maybe even more. So these are these are big old animals and they're just like dinosaurs of the river, but they just looked amazing. Like normally when you see these Murray Crays that come out of the river, they're kind of, you know, pretty, what you would say, dirty looking. You know, they've got a bit of grime and algae and and all sorts of, you know, sort of biofilms growing on them. So you can't really see the true beauty and colour of them. But after they'd been at Narandra for um, five weeks in, in really good, clean, clear water, a lot of that algae and grime and everything, had, well, all of it pretty much had been uh, removed from them, and they were just, you know, revealed their true beauty. They were just amazing colours on some of them. And I, I've seen a lot of crayfish in my time and didn't realise exactly how spectacular these animals are. I always thought that they're an incredible animal, but some of these were just this bright turquoise blue and they've got these white spines and their claws are white. And after being in this really good, clean water, you know, the claws were just, you know, almost glowing white and and these big blue shells, they're just amazing animals. So it's kind of like they come from the river um, and, you know, they they were on their last legs, some of these animals, you know, They, they were basically gasping for air and almost suffocating because there's no oxygen left in the water and and we're um, looking pretty sad and sorry when they came there and then after you know five weeks at Narandra in a good paddock with lots of food and (laughs) really good water quality and um, the best of care out out there we released them back into the water and yeah it was like they'd been on a bit of a I guess a bit of a holiday retreat and um (laughs) gotten their uh yeah spa their treatment tre- yeah their spa treatment or their beauty <laughs> treatment done and been polished up and then released back in a yeah. you know and it's great to see them go back in in such good condition and and a much better condition than we you know we we took them into captivity in it shows how much we care about the river and its inhabitants these beautiful murray crays luke pierce uh, murray manager thanks for telling us all about it my pleasure scott thank you for listening you've been listening to an abc podcast Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.